You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another episode of the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Here in studio, Joe Hopkins and myself, Dave Griffiths. And joining us via the power of the Beach Grove hamster is Mike Chappell, working that Wi-Fi to, uh, to its max today. And we're glad to have him here. And hopefully, Mike, you stay on the line, which for the most part you have this summer. So, so props, to, props to the fine folks in the, uh, the great municipality to the south side of uh, the Circle City to, uh, to keep things going for us and allow us to talk to you over the Internet here. I'll just keep feeding the hamster and we'll see if he's happy. That's right. That, that's how we roll. That's what we do. So uh, we got a big show on tap for you today. We are just two weeks, Joe, from the start of training camp. You have the, the note here. It's 59 days till the Colts opener. I mean, you're, we're going to snap our fingers and it's going to be here all, all of a sudden. Like, we, we've made it through the offseason. Uh, and, and really this week, we really do get to dive into the roster a little bit, kind of previewing both this week and next week, one side of the ball versus the other. So uh, so it, it's like we, we've done a lot over the, the summer, I think. But now it, it gets starts to get a little bit more, I think, intense as the season gets a little bit more close. Yeah, I could tell when putting down the putting together the rundown today. I said, my goodness, this is a lot more work than it's been the past yeah. several weeks. Um, it, it seemed like just yesterday I was wondering how we're going to kill time to get through the dead month of June, then and all of a sudden we're here two weeks until training camp, one month until preseason games begin, just about. Um, so I, I'm ready. I couldn't be more excited. So we're breaking down the offense today. We'll talk about the defense next week before getting into uh, the first week of training camp the following week. Uh, we start, as always, as we do with the news uh, around the league that certainly has a little bit of a cult slant to it. And uh, we've been talking about the past couple weeks, or last week in particular, uh, ESPN's top 10 lists as uh, the, the network surveyed 50 league executives, coaches, scouts, and players. And uh, last week, the linebackers, the top 10 linebackers list was out. We told you Darius Leonard uh, made number one uh, on that list from NFL executives, coaches, scouts, players. Uh, I'm sure there's still a way that he'll find to be slighted by it, even though he was, he was voted number one. But nevertheless, he's there. Uh, this week, uh, no surprise to see Quentin Nelson on top of the list at best guard as well. Uh, following him, right behind him, Zach Martin uh, of Dallas, Brandon Sheriff of Jacksonville, uh, Joe Thune uh, of Kansas City, uh, Joel Batonio uh, of Cleveland. All great, great guards, all of them. Um, but Quinton certainly had a down year last year, Joe. I would, I, I would not have been surprised if somebody else had taken over the top spot because of that. But I think this goes to show you the, the, the level of respect that uh, – that across the league, Quentin Nelson has, and the recognition that uh, the the injuries last year, what hampered him, it was not any type of a step back in terms of his talent on the field. Yeah, and there's a lot of terrific guards in the NFL, but none that really rival the dominance of Quentin Nelson. So even though he took a step back last year, there wasn't that guy who was ready to just slide into that number one spot. And Chap, assuming that he's he's back and healthy, there there would be no uh, no other prediction other than to make him the the first team All Pro that he was the first couple years of his career. Yeah, he had an off year, and he was second-team All-Pro. Right, yeah, wow. So, mm. you know, and again, it, it wasn't his best year. He admitted it. Uh, he had what he missed three games for the first time with that high ankle sprain. Had a back that kind of bothered him from time to time. Then he had COVID late. So, of all these guys that we deal with, they're all self-motivating players. Quentin's going to come back with a vengeance this year if, if, if the body holds up. So, uh, I'm not surprised he's there at all. And let's not forget he's got a big – extension coming up in the next 
month or so. Yeah, that's right. No doubt. At, at some point, they're going to get that done, and we're probably going to get an announcement during training camp. That would be uh, what, what I think both the team and what Quinton would want, both of them, get them locked, uh, locked down before the season really begins and uh, just move on to preparing for the season itself. Um, so those are your top five guards, according to this ESPN list. Uh, we get to running backs. And uh, Jonathan Taylor made this list. He is ranked second among the league's running backs. Derrick Henry, number one, uh, followed by Nick Chubb at three, Dalvin Cook at four, Alvin Kamara at five, and then on and on beyond that. Um, so, some of those guys uh, on this list, or even beyond that, Christian McCaffrey all the way down in seventh. And I'm sure the only reason he's there is because he's had multiple injuries over the past couple years that have really kept him off the field. But uh, Chap, looking at the top of this list in particular with Henry one and, and, and Taylor two, I'm sure some Colts fans will be maybe not up in arms, but questioning, like, well, why is Jonathan Taylor second behind Derrick Henry? I think I, I, you realize, first of all, Henry was the rushing leader before he got hurt last year. And then John- 2,000 yards. Right. And, and both of these teams, both the Colts and Titans, I think, they would want their own guy. Like both teams would say, "Hey, this this guy is the best running back in the league." They're both very happy with their guy uh, because they they both do kind of exactly what they want those that guy to do in their offense. So so uh, I I don't think there's anything uh, anything wrong with being voted second here if you're Jonathan Taylor uh, be behind a Derrick Henry, even though he could certainly make a case and he probably will be a number a number one fantasy pick for most people if you're doing drafts this year sometime. What's really interesting is that the Titans and the Colts are built the same way. I mean, largely built the same way to where the running back is going to be the focal point, and then you want a quarterback to kind of do his job and then let the defense play, and that's how these guys are built. But no, you're right. This is reputation. Henry's been along, been around longer, done it longer, and you you can't go wrong either way. The only way, the only argument you make for Taylor is he's younger. And has less wear and tear, but it's a good. It just shows you there, there's Joe Mixon didn't make this group. Joe Mixon's a pretty good player, so it's it's a really a good running back group. But to me, the top three I agree with. I may put Taylor first, but this is a good group. There are some good running backs in this league. Yeah, uh, Joe with uh, the Derrick Henry. Uh, the, the the point that Chat makes is one that you hear all the time is the uh, the wear and tear that he takes. But he has shown zero signs of wear and tear. Even though even though Mike is completely correct that he's he's taken more hits, he's played more downs. In, in the you go back to his time at Alabama before that and his time in high school, like they just fed him the ball over and over and over again, and, and he has proved to be the. Uh, kind of the albatross among running back groups so far that he has been able to to stay on the field for the most part until last year when he got his injury. Uh, so that obviously Tennessee hopes that's a one-time freak thing and he can go back to being the dominant guy that he has been previously. Yeah, and I think that's you know kind of how the question was posed, like who's the best running back for 2022, Derrick Henry. I think most NFL execs, if not all of them, if you're going to pick a guy to be on your team going forward, they'd take the much younger Jonathan Taylor. Um, but yeah, this is kind of similar to Quentin Nelson, where even though injuries kind of, you know, kept them from having another dominant performance last year, and Henry was certainly dominant before the injury, the reputation, just what they've done the previous couple seasons, put them at number one. One more Colt on this top 10 list, and that's DeForest Buckner landing at the fourth best defensive tackle spot in the league. He's behind, obviously, Aaron Donald, number one. No surprise to see uh, the multi-time uh, defensive player of the year up there. And then Tennessee's Jeffrey Simmons gets all the way up to second. That's a whole lot of respect for him. And then Chris Jones at third out of Kansas City. I'm certainly not surprised to see either of those two. But Simmons has worked his way up, Joe, uh, these lists over the past couple years. And uh, you know, pe- people talk about 
about Tennessee and will they be able to match what they've done the last couple of years? That's always something. It seems like that's something every year you ask about Tennessee is, hey, can they can they make can they do what they do? Maybe they're not. This is going to be their year. Maybe someone else takes that uh, that top spot away from them. But um, they, they they always answer the bell. At least they have the past two or three years when these questions have cropped up in the offseason. I think defense has been a big part of why they have done that. And Simmons is one of the anchors of their defense right in the middle, very much like, uh, though not to the same extent as an Aaron Donald, very crucial to what they do in that system. Yeah, Simmons kind of broke out last year with eight and a half sacks and then had that dominant playoff performance against Cincinnati where Tennessee just spent the entire afternoon in the backfield so I think that might be kind of in a big reason why yeah yeah the recency bias because you know we just talked about the other two lists and the guy who has a reputation has done it longer was you know ranked ahead where that didn't exactly happen here with Simmons and Buckner but I can't argue with it Jeffrey Simmons is a beast I remember coming out of college uh Tennessee took him first even though he was coming off the ACL and there was some off-the-field issues, and it sure paid off for him so far. Chap, when you look at how important Buckner's been to the Colts' defense, it's, it's crucial the past couple of years, mostly because he's been their main pass rusher, and they, they haven't had that same edge presence as some of these other teams have had. So uh, when it comes to Buckner's place in the top five, it, it's certainly locked in there somewhere in the top five. And if he has a dependable edge rush on the outside and can get some more one-on-ones, then maybe he does solidify himself more as the number two or number three behind Donald this year or next year after that. That's just what I was thinking as you guys were talking is he's fourth, and, and again, a very good list, but he's fourth the last two years. He's had really not enough help. It, it, hey, it's, it's great for Buckner that he's led this team in sacks the last two years, but shame on the Colts. You should not have your defensive tackle being your your best pass rusher, and 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 adding in is going to be similar to when they brought in Justin Houston the first year, and and Justin then was a pretty good pass rusher. So I really think that when teams can't focus so much on Buckner inside that they have to take care of Ngakwe outside, and maybe Quiddy Pay on the other side, it should open things up, and we we may be we may see the best of Buckner this year if everybody stays healthy up front. Joe, I'm not sure if there are any more lists that are coming out or if they're all done. Do you know uh, how far ESPN is on this list? Because I would imagine if they were doing centers, Ryan Kelly would certainly be there in the top four or five. I, I am know. not sure if centers come out. It may okay. have come out and he didn't make it. I'm not sure 100%. That would be surprising to me if he didn't because he's made the Pro Bowl like two of the past three years, I think, at least. Let me. We three, can move on straight. here, but it's I'll double check. What's that, chap? What's that, chap? It's been three straight for three Kelly straight. There you go. Uh, Okay, yeah, yeah, Joe, check that out. But yeah, yeah. yeah. if if he's not on the list, chap, I think that's a that's a glaring oversight for a guy who who's been like you said a Pro Bowler three years in a row and has been crucial to the Colts, uh, the 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 center of their line. Now you would agree with that too, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But yeah, he he is. It's funny sometimes when you talk about Quentin Nelson being the one of the best players on the team and the best offensive lineman, but back in the Costanzo days. Q wasn't the most indispensable Colt. It was a left tackle. And I, 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 you could almost argue, is, is Ryan Kelly more indispensable than Quentin? I don't know because Pinner came in and played pretty well. But Ryan Kelly has established himself as a upper echelon center, and he's still at a good age. He's got a lot of years left to play. 
I would say if you're looking across the across the if you did like really deep dive into these uh, top ten lists, I think maybe uh, Rigo Sanchez would be would be in there somewhere as a punter. Uh, Luke Rhodes, because I mean, heck, he was a Pro Bowler the other year. Pro Bowler. Yeah, yeah. So so those two might make lists. Um, if you if you really want to go deep, Ashton Duel and a Gunner, but no one's going to make a top ten Gunners list here uh, in, in the NFL. So Joe, have you found anything over there? From what I'm finding, it looks like they did top ten interior offensive linemen. Okay, not so that's specifically centers. So that's how Quinton got uh, in the top of his list for just interior offensive linemen, and then not a specific center only. Gotcha. List. <coughs> Excuse me. Cool. All right. So, uh, so that's our news for this week. Uh, nothing too crazy right now. Uh, kind of uh, all quiet on the Deshaun Watson front, finally, for one week. Uh, but I'm sure that'll heat up again uh, before too long. Next, next week, don't you think? Yeah, next yeah week. Y- you would think so. I mean, training camps are just about to start up. Y- you'd imagine the league wants to get that done. Uh, uh, I would as, think yeah. Cleveland wants to get that done. I mean, they, they created this, but they, they, they need to know what they have. Right. Absolutely. So so we'll obviously keep our ear to the uh, to the ground. We can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for news and notes throughout the week, whether it's Colts or major stuff across the, the NFL. And that would certainly warrant a, a mention as well. So let's get into our training camp preview for the Colts. Begins in two short weeks. We'll talk about the defense next week. There's a ton of changes on that side of the ball. Um, but we're going to focus on the offense first, and there's certainly their fair share uh, of differences from last year to this year on offense as well. And that starts in the quarterback room. Uh, the Colts had one year of Carson Wentz. They decide to move on, and they get the fortunate incidents of Matt Ryan kind of, I don't want to say fall right into their, their lap because they needed to do a bit of work for it. But in a sense, he kind of did chap in the sense that uh, Wentz was out and Ryan was not on the table at first, so it just took a little while for him to become available after the Deshaun Watson uh, sweepstakes was kind of determined. And uh, it was very evident that Atlanta was trying to move on from Ryan at that point. So both sides uh, agreed that 14 years uh, in, in, the, in, eight, in Atlanta were, were good for them. They moved on. They start a new, shape, a new uh, era of their franchise, and the Colts get a guy that they hope... Uh, to um, to be different in the way they want him to be different than Carson Wentz was last year. Yeah, make make the plays that 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 Wentz didn't, and be. And again, a lot of this is is what the team believes. Be the leader that Wentz wasn't. And it, it, it's funny when it, when this time of year everybody's happy, except maybe Cleveland. <laughs> everybody's yeah. happy and, and 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 excited and optimistic and. We could play back what uh, our podcast from this time last year with Wentz, and, and th- there was optimism. There just was. So I, I think there's more real- realism to be optimistic this year. You and I probably disagree a little bit on, on the level of that, but I think it's an upgrade, and Joe will give us some numbers, and we've talked about him, but Ryan has had four straight losing seasons you know, as a quarterback with the Falcons, but he's played pretty well. He's played pretty well with a with a running attack that was 31st in the league over four years, and a defense that was 28th. So they asked him to do way too much. The Colts are not expecting that. I like the move. Uh, it cost them a lot to get here, but like you said, if not Matt Ryan, when they cut Wentz, they were looking at what Jameis Winston, Trubisky, uh, Mariota. So th- this was it, it. Sort of did fall in their lap. I mean, you, you hate to say that, but. 
it, it could have worked out a lot different, and we'd have a lot different take on the quarterback room. Yeah, Joe, Matt's uh, Ryan's average over the last three seasons you have listed here, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and about 4,300 yards, completing 66% of his passes. I think if you can get... Wouldn't, yeah. you, take, wouldn't you take that? Yeah, I think you would take that. I think 12 interceptions, you'd prefer to have like 9 or 10, for sure. Because right. uh, I, I don't think Ryan is going to be as low as 6 or 7. Uh, he is usually, in the, in the past in his career, had a few more than that. Um, so uh, you know, I think that, that 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, you live with that. Uh, and, and that would be... Assuming that Joe Ryan gives the type of the type of leadership the Colts are asking for that they don't believe they got from Carson Wentz, then uh, then they would consider that a success for for them and for their team for this year. Yeah, it's kind of the situation of football. Like, when do those twelve interceptions come? No doubt. Do does he make the plays in the fourth quarter when the game is tight? Uh, things like that. Maddie Ice. Maddie Ice. Absolutely. I thought it's not in the rundown here, but I saw an interesting tweet uh, from. Graham Barfield today, Matt Ryan versus Carson Wentz on target throw rate via sports information solutions. Um, in, in Ryan was markedly better about every category on targets from clean pocket, 82.7 compared to 77.1 for Wentz. Uh, on non-screens, 76.5 compared to 68.8. On target throws under pressure, 71.7 compared to 58.9. And then on target throws, uh, deep passes, so 15-plus yards in the air, 63.7 compared to 55.8. So I think that's also what the Colts are getting is a more accurate quarterback who can hit their receivers and weapons in stride so that they can make more plays after the catch, get more yards running after the catch, which is something Frank Wright has kind of talked about being an emphasis this season. I don't think there's any doubt, uh, guys, that if the starting quarterback goes down, the Colts are in a much better position this year than they were last year because uh, they came out of training camp and it was Jacob Eason. And then the opportunity for Eason to play came along in week three at Tennessee. And they said, no, thanks. They said, no, nah, they said, no, nah, we're good. We're going to send Carson Wentz with zero ankles out there and, and see what happens. <laughs> but uh, this year, if, if Matt Ryan is dinged up, if he has a, a sore left toe, you feel fine saying, ah, no, you know what, Matt, you, you, you sit, uh, you make sure you're healthy chap because we have nick Foles alongside here a guy who's a super bowl mvp and can come in and win you a game or two or even more than that if called upon yeah and keep in mind ryan's missed three games in 14 years that's true so it might not happen so so it's one of those you know he's an iron man but at some point you know do injuries happen and and, you know like quentin nelson hadn't missed a game in three years plus and he has a high ankle sprain but you've got this team has done so much in the off season to show that they're serious about contending for at least the AFC South. I mean, Stefan Gilmore and, and Yannick Ngakwe and, and what they've done to not bring in a, a, a veteran backup quarterback just would have been dereliction of duty. It would have been. So remember what Frank said, he said, I've been trying to get Nick Foles here since I've been here. Remember we talked, was it last year with Frank? We talked to him at training camp. And we said, hey, you want to talk about – he said, yeah, I'll talk about him. And you're not supposed to talk about players on other teams. And he talked about him, about how great of a player he was, how great of a person he was. So uh, th- this is one where you really hope you never see him. But if you see him, you feel pretty good about short-term how he would handle things.
Yeah, and about just to kind of touch on your dereliction of duty point again, uh, if the Colts didn't get one, I, I still maintain, and I've said this for a year, and we've we've kind of echoed it last summer too, that I think it was dereliction of duty last year that that they didn't get anybody to back we up. Ta- we talked about we talked about it. Yeah, last over year. and we, over. We did. And even from from me, a guy who's been banging the drum for Carson Wentz and kind of going against what what the team has said for him, I I, I really like him as a quarterback. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that about me. I, I was I was right there at the front saying the Colts needed a better backup solution just because of the history that Carson Wentz had, the injury history. You could not rely on him to be out there for 16, 17 games. You couldn't do it. And it came out to bite them in the butt. It did. And, and it was the most predictable problem. The Colts it, could have it, had. It cost them Tennessee. Yeah, at, I mean a, a chance that game was winnable. What they were was it a plus three takeaways? Mm-hmm. It, and you you don't lose plus three. And, and then further down, if you've got if you've got a Nick Foles, he plays at least the second half at Jacksonville because you you yank wins out when things aren't going well. So not yep. having that option. Put him in a bad way, and, and even the the NFL changed the rules the the week of the the Raiders game and to allow Carson Wentz to play after that uh, positive COVID test that he had. If the, if they hadn't changed those rules, he would have been out for that game too. So that's another one. I, it didn't happen, obviously, but nevertheless, and you can argue it cost him the Rams game because they had a chance down yeah. three to go and score and potentially yep. win the game if yep. Carson Wentz was in there and able to play instead of Eason, who threw a pick immediately. Boop. Yep. Um, you know, maybe the Colts get a W there as well and beat the eventual Super Bowl champions. Yeah, that was – people forget that Rams game. They played really well to, to get back into that Rams game and be very competitive and be just right on the precipice of an upset. 27 yeah. to 24. Yep, yep. So, a- a- anyway – uh, that that's all in the past uh, as we dig it back up of course <laughs> as we are known to do uh behind uh, ryan and Foles, you have sam ellinger going into his second year um a sixth round pick of 2021 took 18 snaps last year but no passing attempts uh, he was out there for some uh houston some, garbage time exactly well, gar- there, there were, weren't there a couple gimmicky there were goal line plays or something well, I that, thought I can't. that was of course also at the beginning of the season when they were having a heck of a time getting into the end zone and goal line. And you saw it again in that Rams game. I mean, it took them. They were up the middle, up the middle, up the middle, couldn't go anywhere. Then there was the the fateful uh, yeah, the shuffle, the shuffle pass, pass that uh, Aaron Donald completely blew up in the backfield. Um, like, it, they, there were multiple games, too. Even the first game, in the Seattle game, if I remember correctly, there were a couple plays where it was they were first and goal on, like, the one or the two. And you would think with the Colts' offensive line and with Jonathan Taylor – that they could get in the end zone, and they just couldn't do it. So Frank Reich had to really dive in to chap that bag of tricks to try to get anything going, and Ellinger was out there. It just didn't, didn't work out too well with him there either. They had serious short line, short goal line issues last year that, well, I mean, hopefully they, they've put, uh, put to bed for this year. Well, and we'll get to that with the offensive line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that was not a good offensive line last year. Yeah. It just wasn't. Yeah. Also say at the beginning of the year, it was a really banged up offensive it line. Was, with yes. Smith, Nelson, and then um, Fisher just coming back. Yes. So it got better as the season went along, at least in run block. Yeah, Jack Cohn also on the Colts roster right now, uh, undrafted free agent out of Notre Dame. Um, over the past four years, the Colts have kept uh, two quarterbacks on their roster, except once in 2020 they kept three. That was uh, when Eason was still a rookie, and they wanted to keep him uh, on their fifty-three man. See so no what one he could. had. Exactly. Well, that how'd that work? And well, they saw exactly. <laughs> they, they saw something. He he definitely had some skills. He he has a, a cannon of an arm, as Philip Rivers kind of pointed out, saying that there are throws that he made that made him go wow or golly or gosh or dad gummit, whatever uh, Philip would say. 
Um, but but nevertheless, uh, we, we anticipate two quarterbacks. We anticipate Matt Ryan and Nick Foles. Ellinger will probably be a practice squad player, I would imagine. I don't think any team would come and yank him up. Uh, it's possible, but I don't think highly likely. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine. Like, if there's a chance there's three, sure, they keep three, but definitely going to keep two quarterbacks, and there's probably more along the lines of a 95% chance of that coming out. Um, Joe, was that a uh, key stat that, that you have there, the uh, the Matt Ryan stat, the one that you uh, said earlier about Carson Wentz, or did you have a different one? No, I have a key stat, so I kind of oh, did one. some okay. um, digging into Matt Ryan here and I saw a bit of a trend you know he had the down year last year by his standards 20 touchdowns 12 interceptions 3,900 yards Uh, this was his first year in Arthur Smith's offense Arthur Smith coming over from Tennessee was offensive coordinator installed his new offense in Atlanta Ryan actually has a history of having down seasons in his first year in a new offense followed by a leap of production in year two Let's go back to 2015, Kyle Shanahan's first year as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. Ryan had just 21 touchdown passes to 16 interceptions. The next year, uh, this 21 inter- touchdowns, 21 touchdowns in 2015 was the fewest touchdown passes Ryan had since his rookie season. The very next year, 2016, Ryan was an MVP. 38 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Atlanta would go to the Super Bowl. 2017, Kyle Shanahan leaves to become the head coach of the 49ers. Steve Sarkeesian comes in and installs his new offense. Ryan back down to 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. The very next year, second year in Sarkeesian's offense, Ryan back up 35 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. Um, The last couple years, he's had exactly 26 touchdown passes in back-to-back years with Dirk Cutter's offense. So that kind of shows that. The new offense for Matt Ryan, maybe we should tamper our expectations a little bit in year one. I was going to say, so you're saying Matt Ryan's going to be terrible this year. Uh, well, I mean, even <laughs> I'm not saying terrible, even those numbers aren't terrible, but maybe we should just tamper what we're looking for in year one and then say maybe year two, he could really, really take control of this offense oh, don't, in Indiana. Don't worry, I'm way ahead of you there. It's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as everyone who listens to the podcast knows. Yeah, I was looking the the, the three year numbers, and I realized off off topic of of a new offense. But his three year number averages that's basically Philip Rivers two years ago. Philip mm-hmm. was forty one sixty nine twenty four and eleven. And what what you mentioned and it, it, it's it's huge is the is yards per attempt, but percentage. They, they want accuracy. They 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 are so high on accuracy that they think that's going to impact favorably the receivers. We'll see. I mean, I we'll get to receivers in a minute. But they really think one of the biggest pluses for the receiving core is you're going to have a quarterback who gets the ball when it needs to be there. I think, I think it was the tight end, Mo Ali Cox, said with him, with Rivers, you be ready because you, you've got to have your head turned around because the ball is going to be there. So it, it's going to be more – Timing, a, a, a lot of what Rivers brought, you know, Rivers was a 68% passer. And what's Ryan for his career, 66, 67? So that's what they want. And they they just, they, they don't need him to throw for 4,500, 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. Do your job, make the plays, and when the time comes, complete third and seven. But this team, this team is built, right or wrong, in the long term, around Jonathan Taylor. It just is. And, and one thing about the quarterback room 
that's interesting. Again, Sam, El- Sam Ellinger is a guy that can show everybody around. He's the only one that's back that knows where everything is. But the fact that Ryan has two years to go, and they signed Nick Foles to a two-year contract. So Sam Ellinger's, you know, what's his future here? I mean, you, you could argue that it is not. Because, you know, if things go well, you've got your quarterbacks one and two for the next two years, and then here's Sam sitting there running the scout team. So it's just a, a, a different dynamic uh, quarterback group now, and I, I do think it's a better group. Yeah, so Chap thinks it's a better group. Joe, well, I would imagine you think it's a better group I as do, well. yeah. I, I, think I was interested, yeah, interested I in your of answer course you for are. this question. I, I think it's very, very debatable uh, looking because uh, you have to analyze it top to bottom. And obviously last year – I think the top was a lot better. It, it had with Carson Wentz. I think you have more potential to for uh, for greatness, but also more potential for uh, disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we and we saw both last year. Exactly. Yes, we did. Um, and, and like I I, le- I think it's really close because you, you certainly have a lower floor right now, but your ceiling is just not as high. I don't think with Matt Ryan. Um, it, a higher it's, floor. Yes, much higher floor, um, and with with Nick Foles behind him, I, I think I, I I'm kind of leaning toward this year. I am just because I think the 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 answers behind the starter are so much better, so much better than last year when you were just hoping and praying that that nothing yeah. went wrong. I, I know you're a wince over Ryan guy, but I thought maybe Foles would kind of, and I think it kind of does. It really does for me because even though I'm wince over Ryan. Like uh, I don't think Ryan is a terrible quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I you're just, wins over Ryan, but not by that. It, much. Exactly. I just with you earlier when I say so. Ryan's gonna have a terrible year. I don't think he's a yeah. terrible quarterback. Yeah. I don't think he's gonna have a terrible year. I just, just I, as I said here before. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a decent year. I think Wentz's ceiling with your team is much higher. So that's why I prefer him at the end of the day, chap. But I think they're fine with that. Yeah, and I agree I, I, completely. I don't. I don't disagree that 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 if you hit on Wentz. And if he could, if he could, if he could ever get the consistency that Ryan gives you, super. But that wasn't the case last year. It hadn't been the case the last couple of years for whatever right. the reason. And, and there were reasons. I think they're fine. They're fine with twenty four twelve and forty three hundred yards. They really are, because if you add that to a running game that's going to be top five, that's all you need. Again, he's going to have to make plays, and there's going to be times he's going to he's going to throw deep to Pittman, who whomever. Uh, Pierce or or, or uh, Ashton Doolin, whomever, but but they they want they want reliability where they know generally what they're going to get from the position, and that's where you're going to get. That's where to me Ryan is better than Wentz because you know what you're going to get with Wentz. You really didn't know, and and with, with Ryan's more of a reliable, even keel quarterback, I think. At a, high, at a high enough level that they, they can live with it. If you're looking for reliability, uh, look no further than the running back room for the Colts because if you're, if you're asking, again, NFL executives or leaders across the league, uh, they voted Jonathan Taylor the second-best running back, as we said, mentioned earlier. But if you're looking at entire groups of running backs, uh, you, have, you have the Colts and the Browns, and after that uh, is, is everybody else, mm-hmm. uh, really, because you have Jonathan Taylor, who we've already sung his praises card a few times today, you have Naheem Hines as well, who's a great threat out of the backfield and also can be a return man as well. Um, so, so you put those two guys, uh, chap, uh, on top, and you feel really, really good, just like you did last year with these same two guys. But after Jonathan Taylor's breakout year last year, you, you have to feel even better, I think, about what you have at running back coming back this season. 
JT is 23 and Naheem is 25. He's 25 going into his fifth year. That's crazy. That's just crazy. And remember when we talked to Frank after Ryan and all this, with he said, if I'm a fantasy owner, I'm taking Naheem Hines. I'm drafting Naheem Hines. It's been an every other year thing with Naheem Hines. You know, not really much. And then, you know, with, with, with Luck, he was a big factor. Not so much Brissett. The big factor with Phillip, not so much last year. And they're going to use him. They're going to use him. And both of these guys are durable. You know, knock on wood. They they have, I think, Taylor, is Taylor missed one game? And it was COVID-related. So, uh, what's really good, I, I love this room. I want to see how they use Hines. I don't. I don't know how much he's probably averaged 80 carries a year, probably 85 a year. I don't know how much more of a workload he's going to get running the ball. I really don't. I think 80, 85 is a pretty good number. 90, because Taylor's going to get his. You know, Taylor gets what 20, 22 a game, and they're going to keep. I don't know Philip Lindsay or Deion Jackson. But I think we're going to see more out of Naheem as we all have wanted in the passing game. We're, we're going to – I was looking and only someone in the organization said they look for for Hines to catch 80 balls. Well, only two players in franchise history have caught 80 balls as a running back, and that was Marshall Falk and Lydell Mitchell. So that's a pretty good pretty good group. But I, I like the group. They're young. They're durable. Knock on wood. And what's going to be interesting is, is Jonathan Taylor – a, a long, long-term guy? Or is he that four or five-year back that you look to, to, to replace? Remember, Edron James didn't get a second contract from these guys. He got a franchise tag, but I think it was a five-year deal than a franchise. So how long can this guy be the, the bell cow? You write him, not, not, not to the extent Tennessee does. Tennessee, they're saying it's Derrick Henry. I mean, they're saying, here you go. The Colts aren't going to go that big, but they're going to they're gonna feed Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, uh, Joe. No, no debate. I think at the top of this list that it's one of the best in the league. You just, you certainly hope. Knock on wood. Taylor stays healthy. If he doesn't, you bring in Philip Lindsay, kind of to be more of a uh, a back that can take a lot of those carries away from Naheem Hines, so that you can still use Naheem in the way that you want to. Is is a guy who's I hate to say gadget guy because Naheem hates that, but you want him to be yeah, able. You, you you call him that okay? I tried that once. Exactly. No, I, <laughs> I'm not going to. But I will say that he can do more than your average running back because he can be out there and run more pat. Uh, passing routes we saw him in in minicamp out there working with the wide receivers um to to get some real real time in with that group but uh nevertheless you have philip Lindsay, you have Deion jackson who was on the team last year a special teamer um tyson williams played uh, had three starts for baltimore last year he was signed in the offseason it might be really a battle between Lindsay and williams uh, who gets that spot but uh like over the last four years every year the colts have kept four running backs on their roster you have your number one your number two uh with uh, with hines there, number two taylor hines or whoever it's been marlon mack naheem hines and then after that, you have a guy that can kind of take the load off. Uh, last year, uh, at the start of the year, it was Marlon Mack, just in case uh, you wanted him. And then you have a special teams guy. So you have to fill out the, this, this roster with uh, some of these guys that you have listed here. Yeah, I think uh, it's really going to be a competition between Lindsey and Williams. I think Deion Jackson makes a team because he can play special teams. And then if Taylor went down, I do think it would kind of be a three-way committee with you know, yeah. Lindsey Jackson and Hines. Yeah. I think Jackson would work in a little bit more as well. But this is a great group. The question here, is this running back group better than last season? 
It's hard to answer because we don't really know what Marlon Mack was last year coming off the Achilles because he didn't really get much of an opportunity. So is Lindsey better at this point than Mack? I don't really know. Hopefully for the Colts' sake, yes. Um, But we'll see. The other question, how can the Colts maximize Taylor and Hines? I think they just got to get more plays with Taylor and Hines on the field at the same time. Just try and incorporate them both um, because – Whenever you take Jonathan Taylor off the field, I feel like that's a disadvantage for your team. Obviously, you got to give him a breather every once in a while, but giving the ball to Hines over Taylor is never going to be better. Taylor's a better guy with the ball in his hand, so if you can get both on the field at the same time, I think that's the way you can kind of maximize both players. And, Chap, we've talked with uh, with the offensive line in mind, saying that Frank Reich wants to get the best five guys on the field at once. If you're looking at just the skill players on offense and you want the best guys on the field at once. And especially if you look at the wide receiver room, which we'll get to in a minute and see how thin it is after you pass Michael Pittman jr. In terms of reliability and experience, Naheem Hines would certainly be in the top, uh, top four at minimum three or four guys or playmakers that you have on offense that you can rely upon to, to get the job done out there. Yeah. When you brought that up, I was in my, my, my mind, I'm, I'm rolling over who as far as skill players, Right. Taylor, Taylor, Pittman. Hines. Hines might be next. And Hines. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to put Mo Ali Cox ahead of him. Nope. I'm not going to put Paris Campbell ahead. I'd like to put Paris Campbell ahead of him, but we can. So, yeah, I, and I think what's going to be important is is how they – I agree with Joe. Get get your guys on – Tom Moore always used to say, you play your best people. You just do. And, and, and it's, I think it would be important to play both Taylor and Hines at the same time but have it not always be where that means that Hines is going to flank out as a slot. I, I think because if you do that, then, then you sort of pigeonhole how you're going to use him. There are ways to use both guys out of the backfield and really have the uh, the defense not knowing what they're doing. So is this a better group? Uh, yes, but because Taylor's going into his third year. And I think he can I, – I don't know that he can have a better – I don't think he can have a better year. I just, I just don't think he can. What's a good encore? 1,500 yards? I don't know. Uh, keep in mind, people said, well, you know, he broke Edron's record in a 17 game season. No, he broke it in week 16 or in game seven or in game 16. So I, I, it's just so hard to reproduce what he did. And that's, again, we've talked about it. That's one thing that really irritated, not in, in, ir, irritated, incensed the owner is that you had a running back come up with a generational season. For not, but I, I think he's he's gonna be better because he, he's older, and he, he I guess he can be better without better numbers. But th- this is a kid that's on the ascent. He is, so uh, it's I'm I'm curious to have, what kind of a year he has statistically because he set the bar awful high last year. Yeah, I, as much as I love Marlon Mack, I don't think you can make the argument here that this running back group is worse than it was last year yeah. at all. It's either the same or it's better than last year because of the guys you have at the top being one year better. Uh, also, a couple undrafted free agents we'll mention now, Devontae Price, C.J. Verdell, that really have to prove themselves hard if they want to supplant one of those guys that's the favorites, Joe, to make the roster this They'll year. They'll have to make quite the impression because there's some veterans who have done some things in the league on this team. Yeah. A- any other stats that you wanted to mention here? Uh, Jonathan Taylor has a chance to be become the second player to rush for 1,500 yards in back-to-back seasons um, over the past 15 years. Derek Henry is the only other running back to do that. Uh, the NFL nice is group. Yeah, go ahead. Nice, nice group to be in. 
Yeah, for sure. I was, I was going to say the NFL is, is no longer a running back league. You don't have Adrian Peterson. You don't have what it was Clinton Portis a few times. You don't have uh, before that. I don't know who, it, who the last one would be. Maybe it was Edge. So many more man. are, you know, half running back, half receiver yeah. these days. They don't just give a guy 400 right. carries anymore. Yeah. So, so anyway, let's go to wide receivers. Um, you obviously start with Michael Pittman Jr. on top of this list, entering year three. He's only 24 years old. He'll be 25 in October. Um, he, he more than doubled his catches, yards, and touchdowns from year one to year two. He told us in this offseason that that was his goal. I uh, wouldn't specifically outline his goals for this coming season, chap, but, but you know that the Colts, especially with the guys they have behind him, are going to be relying on Pittman to, to take on even more of a role this year than he had last year in a, in a really kind of a breakout year two. And it was a year that sort of faded uh, as a passing game. Uh, as the kind, Colts kind turned of, away from the passing game. Well, I, I would put right, it that way. Yes. Right, right, right. For whatever reasons, you and I can argue on what the reason. I'm sure we would. <laughs> but but the, uh, the thing is, too, I, I think there's more from Pittman because I thought too often last year, it was almost a jump ball situation. Remember, I even did a story once on it. They were sort of get, trying to get DPIs with Pittman, and it worked. But, I, again, I think this is the guy that can really, really uh, gain stuff from, from timing. And, and, and he, he showed some run, run after the catch skills as a rookie. So, again, somebody that's only getting better. And the one stat that just floored me when I looked over all the stuff with receivers that I did is that there's only been three players in franchise history ever with multiple, not, not, not just consecutive, but, but multiple, more than 1,000-yard season. Just three. So he, he can join the short list. It's, you know, Harrison, Reggie, and T.Y. So uh, this guy needs to be the guy for so many reasons. Joe, uh, you're, you're uh, high on the Michael Pittman Jr. bandwagon. You've been on it for a long time. Uh, I think Chap brings up a, a couple points uh, that, that make him a, 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 certainly a wide receiver one contender, I guess. I don't know if across the league you're viewed as that elite, elite receiver yet, Pittman, but he has jump ball capability, whether it's DPI or elsewhere. He has run after the catch ability that we've seen before. Um, I, I think there's another step that he can take this year, uh, but I'm not exactly I, – I, I would – I would have a few ideas about what that could be. Uh, you work your way into that 100-catch realm. Like, week after week, you're getting five catches, you know, more, a little bit more consistent. And that has to do with play calling just as much as it does his his performance. But uh, I, I think he's going to have the opportunity, at least, to do that this year. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure if Pittman will ever be, like, a top-five receiver in this league, but I think he could certainly challenge for top-10, being the argument for, you know, ninth or tenth best receiver in the NFL. And I think he will take another step forward this year. Um, he, he's got the mindset, the mentality to do it. He said, quote, this year, I'm just trying to build on that and become the definite number one receiver everyone talks about. And I think he will. There, there are guys that, that are like in, in the same vein. You look back to I look back to Vincent Jackson, who was really mm -hmm. good with the Chargers for a while. And like he might not have been a top five receiver, like you say, but he could certainly have been considered top 10 for a while. And they're, they're kind of built in the same vein. They're big guys. They're fast guys. They could do a lot of different things out there. Yeah. And it perfectly good. And you as the number one in your offense. You yeah. don't need a top five wide receiver to go win a Super Bowl. Look at all the rings the Patriots won without uh, – they had Randy Moss there at one point, but then the Giants beat him. So here we go right now. Uh, that That's number one <laughs> is Pittman. Now, now comes our question marks. Now, now there's the rest of them. Uh, Pittman is only 24. Uh, the oldest Colt receiver right now is Kiki Kuti, and he's 25. 
Um, you have Paris Campbell, Alec Pierce, Ashton Doolin, Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn, Kiki Kuti, De- DeMichael Harris, Kikoa Crawford, Michael Young Jr., Samson Nakua, uh, Ethan Fernea. All those guys right there. Uh, and the last four are undrafted free agents. Yes, all of them vying for positions. You look at what the Colts have done the past couple years. Uh, they have, uh, starting in 2018, they've kept out of training camp five receivers, six in 2019, six in 2020, and then five last year. Uh, so that, that's the number you're looking at, five or six uh, of these guys. You think Pittman has, a, uh, obviously, Campbell, Pierce, Doolin, and then all those guys are competing for one or two positions after that. It depends on how they can, uh, I guess, be an impact on special teams and also if they're going to have any role, role on offense. So, Joe, when, when you're looking at wide receivers in this list, where, where do you start after Pittman Jr.? Where do you think is the most relevant thing to begin with in our discussion? I think if this wide receiver group is going to be the best version of itself, the next best receiver on this team this year needs to be Paris Campbell. I mean, I'd love for Alec Pierce to have a great rookie year, but even if he has a good rookie year, Paris Campbell needs to have a better season, and he's completely capable of having a better season as long as he stays healthy. I know that's a massive if, but heading into a contract year, he's the healthiest he's been going into a season in several years. Um, I get he's played just 15 out of 49 regular season games, but if the Colts are going to reach their offensive or at least passing ceiling this year, Paris Campbell needs to be a significant part of it. Yeah, last week in our discussion of breakout Colts, when we counted down our top 10, I had Ashton Doolin, uh, top five. I had Ashton Doolin number one because I have more faith that he is going to be out there. But, but chap, I think it's hard to argue against Joe's point that for the Colts wide receiver group to be their best, then Paris Campbell would have to be that number two wide receiver. Because as much as I like Doolin, I think he's a consistent guy, which goes back to our discussion earlier about the Colts wanting just some more consistency on offense this year as opposed to last year, starting from the quarterback position. They're going to need some dynamic playmakers to make dynamic plays when times are tough, when they need them to happen in the fourth quarter or on third and long, whatever it might be. And Paris Campbell is a guy that can make those things happen. I remember when we talked to Chris Ballard in late January, whatever, after the season, and we talked about Paris. He said, hey, we haven't given up on Paris. We think he can still play. He said, now, we can't go into the season expecting him to be a two or a three because of his history. But they, I, I'm totally on board with Joe. They, he needs to be. They need to get 14, 15 games uh, of, of steady, steady play because he gives you what no one else does. He, he, he's got what the other players don't have the size, the speed, the run after the catch, and and all that. So, and, and also, if they can get that, he allows everyone else to play their, their role. So, so Alec Pierce can be a rookie that gives you 40 or 50 catches and 600 yards. And, and the other guys, and then Doolin can be the the Zach Pascal guy. I, I'm not – they're totally different players, but production-wise, and Des Patman, so – he allows everybody to do what they need to do best, and you can't depend on it. Here's here's the problem, chap. That I think you kind of illuminate there. That that Chris Ballard said this off season. We we have faith in Paris, but we can't rely on Paris. But they treated this off season in a matter that they're going into the year relying on Paris. I don't disagree, and that's my biggest complaint for all off season is they haven't. I don't care if it's Ty. I don't care who it is that they haven't brought a veteran presence to where you say, you know, this guy's done it for five or six years, and 
you know, we know we're pretty sure what we can get out of him. They didn't do that. I think that really was wrong. I really do. And, and you can enter whether it was Ty or whomever else. And we saw a lot of pretty good receivers, free agent guys, signed for really reasonable, very reasonable contracts. They stayed in house. You know, maybe they still signed somebody. Uh, I think I just think they would have if they were going to. I just I don't see why you'd wait until July twenty sixth. Yeah, I, I I think they were wrong, and you know, I, hopefully we're wrong because if we're talking to Ballard in December or January, and he says, "Boy, I was wrong." Well, then, then the season didn't go the way they wanted it to. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, I I believe like it, it to to put it the the worst way that I could put it is I believe just like last year with the quarterback situation, they've set themselves up for failure. They've set themselves up in a way that that the, the, the most predictable uh, the most predictable problem in the world uh, is right there in front of them. That you're relying on Paris Campbell to be a key contributor at wide receiver when he has not been able to do so in his career so far. If things go well, like Chap said, great. And maybe we're not talking to Chris Ballard, Joe, about this in December or January. But but the problem is just so clearly there that anybody can see. You don't need to be Chris Ballard and have 20, 25 years of NFL experience as a scout to see that this is a gaping hole in this Colts roster. Well, even more so reminds me of the defensive ends. We were saying, why didn't they bring in a veteran defensive end? They were going to rely on, all, you know, they used their top draft pick on a defensive end. The Colts this year used their top draft pick on a wide receiver. They got a bunch of young guys with potential. But, I mean, I, I guess you could say Pittman's more established than any of the defensive ends they, they really had last year going into the season. But uh, it's, it seems like a similar bet to me, and I hope this year it turns out differently. Joe, your key stat for the wide receivers entering 2022. Uh, key stats here, let's see. I have a couple of them. One about Alec Pierce. ESPN's Mike Clay projects mm-hmm. Pierce for 49 catches, 657 yards, and four touchdowns. That would be the most receiving yards by a Colts rookie wide receiver since T.Y. Hilton in 2012. You say I would love that, by the way. If, if he I'd, can I'd, get that, I'd I would love that. that. I'd, take that in, I'd take that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. T.Y. had a great rookie year with over 800 yards. Key stats here, um, returning wide receivers, Mike has harped on this all offseason, returning wide receivers not named Michael Pittman Jr. combined for 28 catches, 387 yards, and four touchdowns in 2021. And Mike already mentioned Pittman Jr. can become just the fourth Colts wide receiver in franchise history with back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Harrison, Wayne, and Hilton done it. Mike, you said it's not just consecutive, it's Colts wide receivers, period, with 2,000-yard seasons? Three three players have multiple seasons and that's it. Three receivers. I, I, I went three. Uh, no, three players. I mean, three players. I, I was stunned considering the quality of quarterback play they've had here. But yeah, it's. I mean, Dallas Clark had one, and Brandon Stokely had one, and you know that's kind of the way it was. They just R- R- Reggie Langhorne had one. Raymond Barry, Hall of Famer, but they were back when they weren't playing sixteen games. I checked three times because I thought that can't be right. And it's right. Yeah, uh, wow. we can. We don't have to touch uh, too deep on some of these other uh, wide receivers. I think uh, Alec Pierce has the potential to add uh, the most out of everyone else. But I think all of us ex- have tempered expectations for a rookie, especially a rookie the Colts traded down in the third round to take. You know, it's not like they have these massive expectations for him. They want him to slide into a role and get used to just the NFL system, which I think he can be very effective in the role if they keep him to his role. 
and other guys yeah, are able a, to a deep threat. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and other guys are able to uh, stay in their roles. But the, the second you start to ask him to do too much is like the second you ask Zach pa- Zach Pascal to be number two wide receiver in the past. You know, he he can do some things, but. Uh, but that's just not what you want to build in a, an NFL offense around. And after that, you have Desmond Patman, who I think showed some flashes last year at times, but nothing nothing dramatic. And then you have Mike Strawn that Frank Reich admitted last year he just wasn't ready. So I don't know how much more ready he's going to be this year for a significant role. Um, I don't think, Joe, there's any, any need to dive too deep into some of these guys at the bottom of the depth chart. I mean, really, Patman, Strawn, and Cootie are com- competing for that final yeah. roster spot or two maybe two of the three really impressed and they keep six wide receivers um but we'll see it, it all depends on who takes that next step between patman and strong because they're very similar tall pretty fast strong wide receivers and we just have to see who develops uh, if you're looking at which group last year or this year was better uh, I, I would lean toward last year because you had an ascending Pittman. uh you still had ty on the roster and pascal even though he had a down year i think that he's at least you have a little bit more of a consistent expectation out of him. And I don't think that this year's has any more dynamic potential, maybe a little bit. I'd go with this year's. You think so? I think last year's stunk outside of Michael Pittman Jr. T.Y. didn't do anything. Pascal had the worst season he's had in several years. I think it's not a high bar to cross to say Campbell or Pierce is going to give you more than what T.Y. or Pascal gave you last year. Yeah, I. it's tough because I... I can't get past 28 and 387. That that's what you have coming back and, and you're just we're just asking guys we're hoping. You you're going like like Dave said we're, we're, they're going in with fingers crossed. I would guess this year's is a little better only because of the way. Now I thought going into last year, going into last year that group was better. And it didn't turn out that way. I guess I would take this year's because of potential and they haven't your number yet. one breakout player, Dave Ashton Doolin. That's right. Yeah, he is. He is my number one breakout player because there's no one else. Uh, I, think my, I think mine was Paris Campbell. Yeah, there you go. So everyone, everyone's expecting something. Pittman Jr. Group. could be better in year someone's three. Gotta, so. Someone's got to step up. Uh, someone's got to step up a tight end as well after uh, the retirement of Jack Doyle. Uh, 8.6 yards per catch, Jack Doyle. He's not going to wow you down the middle of the field, but, man, he can get you the first down on third and six, and now he's not on the team anymore. Uh, Mo Alley-Cox takes over the top spot. Uh, entering his fifth year in the NFL. Uh, they, he's been very, very similar over the last two years in terms of snaps with Jack Doyle. Joe, you point out here, they both have about 1,100, not quite 1,200. Doyle yeah, really had a few split more. in time. They were, very much so. And so Mo is your guy. You're certainly your most experienced guy in line tight end who can both stay in and block a defensive end and go out in a pattern. Uh, guys like Jelani Woods and Drew Ogletree are, are, have that size, but you don't want to throw your rookie tight end into the fire, uh, blocking uh, whoever it might be uh, on the edge. Harold Landry, I don't know, who, whoever it might be come, coming off the edge. Um, so, or wh- whatever. Uh, after that, you have Kylan Granson entering his second year as well. Uh, more your split out wide tight end. Uh, he only appeared in 17, he did appear in 17 games last year, rather uh, had 21% of the offensive snaps. He was out there on the field. Um, certainly I think you like the, the rookie potential a ton, uh, with Jelani Woods and Drew Ogletree, both huge guys. And if either of them can catch on to, uh, to, to the NFL game, Joe, you, you, you like what their future is in this league a whole lot because they, they are, they are unicorns when it comes to their size at this position. And if they are developed correctly in the right way, 
then they could really be a playmaker down the road. I, they, and if they show a little bit of potential this year, then that I think that just shows you that that gives you a whole lot of optimism for their future. Yeah, I'm really excited about Jelani Woods. You don't see too many guys six seven two sixty who run a four six one forty yard dash, and he was productive. He's not just an athlete. He was productive in college. Six hundred yards, eight touchdowns last year in the ACC, and before that, he was mostly used as a blocker. So he can block as well. It takes tight ends more than other positions a little bit of time to catch on in the NFL. Um, so I think to start the year, Granson probably sees more snaps. But I kind of predict as the year goes on, Woods and potentially Ogletree will get more and more involved. And Chap, in order for their Colts running game, of course, to be what, what they want it to be, which is what the Colts are focusing their offense around, they need Mo Cox to be out there a good majority of the time. So it would be nice to have him do a little bit more in the passing game as well so that other teams can't completely key in and focus on him so much close to the line of scrimmage being a runner. If he expands his uh, skill set a bit this year and is a more of a danger out in the flat for uh, 8.6 yards per, per catch, that, that would go, I think, a long way to let this offense do, Chap, what it really want, what Frank Reich really wants it to do. Yeah, I'm not saying Jack Doyle's irreplaceable. I'm not. But go back and see how many of Jonathan Taylor's big runs was Jack Doyle sealing off a linebacker or whatever at the hole. So someone has to step up. And, and to me, the, the, the best opportunity is, is for Colin Granson because he's really the only F tight end. He's the only one that the move tight end. And if you look at the group, and we'll get to Joe's question, is this group better? No, it, it, it's not. It, it just can't be. Uh, they normally keep four tight ends. I'm not sure how you keep four of these tight ends. Four of them have never played. You know, you, you've got Mo and you've got Granson, and, and you take Mo away, they've got 11 catches coming back. I thought the receiver core was the most uh, concerning group. Tight end is, because tight end really is a big part of this offense. And right now, they, they, they really need, they need Jelani Woods maybe to step up. I'm not sure I'd say more than Alec Pierce, because Pierce, it, 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 but it's close. Because they, they like tight ends, and right now they've got a lot of questions at tight end. Yeah, I, I think you would definitely make that argument that Jelani Woods taking a big step is more important than Alec Pierce. I think you can make that argument. Well, and to the point, talking about the loss of Jack Doyle and how much they used him as a blocker and how important he was, Mo Alleycox is also a good blocker, and he's definitely your most reliable. So there's a world where I can imagine where Mo Alleycox stays in a, to block quite a bit and maybe one of these other guys has just as many yards and catches as Mo Alleycox, if not more, because he's needed as a blocking tight end. You have Michael Jacobson and Nikola Kalinich, Kalinich uh, as well uh, on this roster right now. We don't anticipate them to stay there. But yeah, Chap made the point that they keep usually four tight ends. They've kept four or three over the past uh, couple years. And with Ogletree there as a draft pick, you might consider take, keeping all four, uh, unless he just is really way behind uh, in training camp. It depends on training camp performance. Then you can slide him in there on the practice squad and maybe be happy with that. But you're definitely keeping those top three. And I agree with Chad that this is not a better group than last year. I don't think you can really uh, call it that now. Maybe at the end of the year and Jelani Woods is breaking out and then you say, hey, great, you can feel great about the future. But but right now there's there's a whole lot to to have in in question, Joe. Uh, Anything else you wanted to add about the tight ends? I agree. Jack Doyle was Good man, he was he was a reliable tight end, and you can't say Jelani Woods is as good as Jack Doyle yet. You just can't. All right, offensive tackle. 
I know we're reaching about the hour mark here, but we're going to keep going because there's a lot to talk about on this uh, this Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to download and subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week when we drop. Um, at offensive tackle, you have Matt Pryor, who's going to be the uh, supposed week one starter at left tackle, uh, unless things go quite awry in training camp, I think, because that, that's what the Colts want to happen. They want Matt Pryor to be the starter right now. He had five starts for them last year. One of them came at left tackle, three at right tackle, and one came at right guard. The Colts got him from the Philadelphia Eagles, um, and they re-signed him this last offseason to a, just a one-year, $5 million prove-it contract. Can you be a left tackle uh, contract? Because if he can, if he comes out this year and has an even decent season at left tackle, I mean, then you immediately jump up to, to double-digit million dollars, like $10 million, I would say, at least, uh, at from, least. from year to year. If, I think if that's you where prove, the combo starts. Yeah, if you're, if you're proven to be a capable left tackle. Braden Smith, on the other side, he already got his money, fought four-year, $72 million contract last offseason. Had a foot injury last year, really started slowly when he came back, but ended the year on a really good note. You were really happy with the way he played down the stretch, as opposed to basically every other Colt on the roster that went the other way down the stretch last year. Braden Smith was was the albatross that had a really good finish to the year. Um, Bernard Ryman, third-round draft pick, uh, number 77 overall. Um, will he be the left tackle of the future? Maybe. Will he maybe shift into guard? Maybe. A lot to determine about him. But uh, he had some really good stats in Central Michigan in college. After that, you have Dennis Kelly, who's a 10-year veteran, who's a good backup that you have, especially at right tackle, where he's had a lot of experience. Jason Spriggs, uh, the former Indiana Hoosier, has 10 career starts as well. So you want some guys back there, Joe, who have experience at tackle in case one of your starters goes down. Uh, Ryan Vandemark, an undrafted free agent. Michael Young Jr., undrafted free agent. Samson Nakua, undrafted free agent. Uh, Ethan Fernea, undrafted. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Yeah, is that correct? No, that was a wide receiver. That's my bad. Uh, Jordan Murray and Brandon Kemp, a couple more, uh, a couple more tackles there. Sorry, I was reading off the wrong page, but um, yeah, real confused for a yeah, second. Yeah, that, that, that's my bad. But uh, but uh, the good thing we caught it. Um, chap, you have Pryor and, and Smith, probably those one two. Ryman is a bit, a bit of a wild card. Uh, after that, I think I kind of like the depth with both Kelly and Spriggs on this roster, guys that have starting experience in the league. Obviously, you don't want to rely on them, but you certainly want guys who, who know what they're doing in, in, in just in case your starters go down with injury. Yeah, they did this last year, remember, ringing in Fisher, and then they went out and got Sam Tevy and Julian Davenport, right. and none of, the, none of it really worked like they had work, hoped. Unfortunately. None of them. So uh, ideally, for this to be a good group, ideally – Matt Pryor wins left tackle. The only concern is you don't know what he is. He's he started 15 games in three years, is it? Once at left tackle. One. So I, I would like to know that my left tackle has a little more. He even said that he went into the last year not even thinking about left tackle. Well, now all of a sudden, when you when you show you can play at a, at a decent level, like we were talking to him and he said, you know, he's found out that the more you can do, the less you get paid. Yep. Like you mentioned, if, if he shows he's at least – more than competent, he's going to get paid. And if, if he can secure left tackle, you really like the depth. You just – maybe Ryman goes over and plays guard, and then you've got Kelly and Spriggs fighting out for the swing tackle. On paper, you really like the depth of this group a lot, if Pryor can step up. Yeah, and Joe, Ryman being the one that I think is most intriguing because he's the draft pick, and uh, he was actually listed to the Colts on a bunch of box. We talked about him leading up to the draft as well as somebody that – you think of a first or a second round pick on a couple of different players boards or different analyst boards and the Colts get him in the third round. 
I think you're happy about that, but that's, at the same time, that gives you a little pause because looking across the league, NFL teams draft left tackles, which Ryman was, in the first round. So there, there's a lot of questions around the league, and must be with the Colts as well, whether he can be a left tackle, especially early in his career, for him to fall down to the third round. Nevertheless, he's a guy I think a lot of us will watch with uh, pretty good intent here in training camp coming up. Yeah, he's a guy, I mean, who certainly comes with his concerns. He doesn't have very long arms, that length that you're looking for. He'll be 25 in September, and he's a guy who's only played tackle for two years. So he's still developing new to the position. He's already 25 years old. So I think those are the reasons he fell down. But he had a great pro football focus uh, pass blocking grade of 88. And then uh, he gave up just one sack in college. I get it's at Central Michigan, the small school. is probably another reason that bumped him down a little bit. Um, But I think the potential's there. We'll just have to let him develop. Yeah, I like Chap. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, what would be really curious, you never know how these things play out. Let's just say that Matt Pryor turns out to be a pretty good left tackle. Not Terry Glenn or Costanzo, but and more than serviceable. So maybe he's the guy you're re-signing. And then Ryman, who you probably drafted to be a tackle, moves to right guard. It would be just the opposite of what they did with Braden Smith. Remember, he, he, was, he, was, signed, he was drafted to be a guard. And and then forces or things happen to, to go tackle. So, Ryman gives you options, and but so much of what this line can be can be depends on Pryor really stepping up and being the guy. Yeah, I, I like this group better than last year right now, and that that comes with hindsight though. That Eric Fisher just wasn't. Uh, wasn't what they had hoped he would be last year at left tackle when he when he came. There was no he came in. You figured he would start slow, but there was no real marked improvement over the year. You couldn't see him getting better and better. I don't think as the year went on, there were still lapses or there were still uh, plays or series where he was obviously getting beat. So I would think last year going into the year, I would have felt better about that group than this group. But like I said, Joe, with the power of hindsight, just knowing that Eric Fisher wasn't what uh, they had hoped for last year, that looking at this group of tackles. I feel better about it being better than what we ultimately got from the tackles last year. Yeah, it's really close in my mind because by saying that, you're saying that you think Pryor will be better than Fisher and that either Ryman or Dennis Kelly will be better than Pryor was. And and I don't think either of those are – I feel confident that Pryor is going to be pretty good, but I don't know if someone can be as good as Pryor was for this team last year who started five games and did a good job doing it. Um, I'll, I'll maybe lean that it's a little better just because I'm hopeful with this group. Um, but as of right now, there's just like a lot of these groups, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, who, who would have thought that, uh, that after, uh, that for years, Anthony Costanzo was the one stalwart on the Colts offensive line. Now we've been talking about left tackle for the past a couple seasons to see what, who, what, who, when, where, why, how, uh, they can, they can fill in that spot chap. It's never a good thing when you talk too much about left tackle. No, it just, it just isn't, uh, you you can you can cover up deficiencies at a lot of places. It's tough to cover up deficiencies at left tackle. Let's get to guard on the inside where you can cover up deficiencies. As Chap has explained over the years, that uh, <laughs> I see you, you, Chap's like laughing and shaking his head at me. But. I, I, I I come from the Howard Mudd school where he he built from the outside in and he got good tackles, and then he got guards. And again, I'm not disparaging guards across the country, but his approach was. You can find guards. Quentin Nelson is a guy that you can't find too often, and that's why he was a sixth overall pick a couple years ago. That's why he's been all pro every year of his career, and even in a down year, he's a second-team all pro as well. Uh, He comes into training camp healthy. That's 
knock on wood, that he stays that way. Um, no questions about left guard right now at all. The only thing that you could possibly be concerned about is the injury history because he's had surgeries over the past couple years, and you're just wondering what the toll on his young body is right now. You hope that it hasn't quite reached a, a breaking point yet. The other side of the ball, Danny Pinter's probably your starting right guard, at least for now. We've talked about Ryman already uh, maybe sliding into that spot, depending on how the left tackle situation goes. But uh, Pinter, chap, he came in and played last year when Ryan Kelly was out at center and did pretty darn well. He hasn't had a whole lot of experience at right guard, though. So this is technically a new NFL position and really a new position period for him. He was a tackle in college at Ball State. Chirp, chirp, your boys. And a tight end. That's right, and a, a tight end. He a tight end that grew into tackle. Yeah, and he caught a touchdown last year in, in the Jets game as well. Probably not going to catch too many touchdowns as a guard, but uh, but nevertheless, he he's... He's a bit of the wild card, of course, in the starting group because everyone else and, and left tackle. I guess left tackle is your ultimate wild card, to be to be honest. But if if you're going inside at these two, obviously Pinter comes in with the questions. But because Chap of his experience and his success last year at center, even if he doesn't work out at right guard, I think he has a place on this roster because he has that experience and he's shown that he can be a good center for this team. I just think he's your starting right guard. I think so too. Because again, they're they're going to allow Ryman to to start to, to to compete at left tackle, and then let's say midway through camp they decide that it's Pryor's job. There's very little chance that Ryman can do enough at right guard to unseat the right guard. But uh, I I think Pinter's shown. It's it's funny we talked about how uh, Pryor said that the more you can do, the less you get paid. Pinter's a guy you like to who can do a lot of things, and you got to have those guys. You just the Joe Wrights is in Jake Scott. You, you got to have them, but it, it's not to the betterment of that guy's career financially. Maybe longevity, it is, but I think this kid's got a chance to be a pretty good interior player. That's why a guy like Joe Haig goes to I think it was Tampa Bay, and he becomes like a starting tackle out there for for them. So he's he's trying to get to get out of that role of being a swing guy, you know. That and I completely understand guys trying to do that. And this is Pinter's chance if he can really it seize is. the right guard job and here, yeah. be a starter. Um, he's going into year three. If over the next two years he can secure and keep that right guard position and establish establish himself as a solid right guard he's going to get another contract to start if not with the Colts somewhere else going forward and after Nelson and Pinter you have Will Fries going into his second year Carter O'Donnell in his third but he has been on the practice squad the last two years and Josh Seltzner uh, an undrafted free agent out of Wisconsin not a whole lot of depth right here chap uh, after those two guys on on in the inside, so you really hope they those two stay healthy. I think, uh, or or if they s slide Ryman in, they are to be a backup. Uh, they're just quote unquote get the best five guys out there. Uh, nevertheless, I, I can't imagine they give Ryman too much at guard at the beginning because they've got to leave him a tackle and 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 to see how he does out there. So these are the guys like these those two, and then Will Fries is really your top backup, a guy who's in the second year in the league and only had 22 snaps last year. Whole lot more depth at tackle, chap, than there is at guard on this roster. And that just leads into the fact that this this group is not as good as last year. It's not. You you you've put in some young guys who you, who you kind of like, and you've taken out Mark Glowinski and Chris Reed, who were two pretty good players. And, and you talked about a new uh, if Pinter can show he's the guy. I think Glowinski's last contract with the Colts was three years, eighteen million. I think it was. Pretty. It's pretty good money for a for a second tier, I guess, guard. So I I think it's. It can't be as good because I, I was hoping they would bring back Reed 
Uh, but where do you go? Minnesota, I think. Yeah, I believe of, so, yeah. We're sort of a home away from home for him. But if that's why I say if, if prior, it always, you know, prior, prior, if he can take care of right tackle, then it, it allows you to have the backups with Kelly and Spriggs and allows Ryman to be in that interior group. So this has got the potential, but it, it hinges to me on prior being able to handle tackle. Let's go to center. Ryan Kelly entering his seventh year in the league. He's 29 years old. Three consecutive Pro Bowls. No concerns there. Wesley French is also on this roster as a center. He's an undrafted rookie out of Western Michigan. We'll see if he makes this roster. It kind of depends on, I think, uh, other factors. And uh, you, you might even still have Pinter, Joe, as your backup center right now, even if with Wesley French on the roster if he made it. I think Pinter would, which kind of puts more of an emphasis on that depth at guard, yeah. either being comfortable with Will Fries or Ryman being able to slide in at right guard if all of a sudden Pinter needs to shift in and fill in for Ryan Kelly. And let's keep in mind that, you know, they'll probably sign a few more veterans as we go through the summer. That, that typically happens, especially when roster cuts happen uh, towards the end of August, early September. So, you know, this roster is not done yet, but looking at it now, um, center's hard to really say if it's better than last year because you can, if you consider Pinter kind of your backup center, it's probably just as good. Yeah, probably about the same to me too, um, looking at that. So uh, over the last four years, the Colts have kept, starting in 2018, 10 offensive linemen, then eight, then eight, and then 10 last year in 2021. So um, I, I think ideally you, you have a good amount there. Um, and, and when they've kept eight, they had guys that were definite swing guys that they knew that they liked that could uh, move around here or there. Um, I, I, and since I, I, I don't know what it's going to fall to this year, but you, you definitely want, um, you, you want someone you like there on the interior as a backup, I think. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they get some kind of a veteran guard out there, uh, like, like Joe mentioned, but chap, this is always a place that, that you certainly want depth. Even if your starters, you feel great about your starters, even if they've started, uh, 30 straight games together you want some good guys behind them because one play in those trenches can can be brutal on a leg on a knee uh whatever it might be and so you need someone who can come in and if you're a running team to to kind of step in and 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 fill in the gap for however long is necessary yeah if we would take the 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 possibility that they sign nobody else that this is your group you're going to have eight or nine or ten i i I could say okay i can see that and i could make it work now, long-term, maybe not if you lose Q or somebody, but I like the group. One thing to keep in mind, and we, I, I overlook it like everyone else does, what's a practice squad, 15 players? I believe so, isn't it? Roughly, and, yeah. And, and they keep, they'll keep four or five offensive linemen, so yep. they're sort of – and you can protect – if you've got some that you that, – you know, you can protect them on, on a Tuesday. So that's, a, that's an extension of the roster. So you're going to see some of these guys on the practice squad who may be called up on game day. So, but but again, what what just jumped out at me is they they had ten different starting combinations last year, ten, and, and with, with injuries, with COVID, so you've got you got to have it. And was it Arizona where they just mixed and matched and had different guys out there? So you got to have guys to where short term, even even in a game, where a guy has to go from right guard to center or right guard to right tackle. And I, I, you know, barring an injury or barring someone else coming in, I like this group, but I agree that they might, they may find somebody else when a guy gets rid of, 
when a team gets rid of a guard, they've got too many good guards. It's, you, you never want, Joe, to have 10 different offensive line combinations in one year. That is a sure sign that you are struggling at that position. It's such a stark contrast to a couple years ago when the Colts started all 16 games with that, uh, that same offensive line unit. You would hope that this year can be a return to that consistency. We, we've mentioned consistency a bunch on this podcast already. Having consistent offensive line play is crucial to, to success for an NFL team. It, it really is. And I mean, 2019 started all 16 games. We talked about it on the podcast at the time, how rare that is. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen this year, but if it can be even cut that in half, maybe five different offensive line combinations this year, that will go a long way in having consistent blocking for allow your skill position players to do their thing. Yeah, I, I love this stat that you have down here at the end for left tackles. I was hoping that you could read that since you're the one who discovered it. We'll, we'll let you share it with the, the viewing listening audience here. Let's see, for left tackles. It's all the way at the bottom there. Yeah, there it is. Um, so the Colts are really hoping to find a diamond in the rough at left, ta left tackle. Since 2019, players drafted in the first round have accounted for 49% of the snaps by starting left tackles. That's according to The Athletic. So the Colts are really hoping to be the find a consistent player to fill the left tackle position from an area where most left tackles or most of the guys that you identify to be a good left tackle are not found. And I, I got that from Mike's article online. He has articles previewing every single position online at Fox 59 and CBS4Indy.com. And I think you just have offenses for Mike. You're going to keep working on defense in the coming days and weeks, I'm sure. Start with the defensive line tomorrow, and then uh, I was hoping you'd give me some defensive stats. When we get off here, why don't you start working on the defensive stuff for next week? <laughs> but, no, it, it's really cool because it, it just – what it does, it refreshes your mind on what these guys have, strengths and weaknesses, and there's plenty of both. I think there's more strengths and weaknesses, but doing it this way, we can really see what they've got and what they don't have, and we hit the defense, I think, next week, don't we? Yeah, yep. we, we focus entirely on defense next week like we have for offense this week. I know we went a little bit longer than usual, so if you guys were expecting a 55-minute, hour-long podcast, sorry, we gave you some extra time this week. And you're who knows? welcome. Yeah, you're, you are welcome. We might give you some more <laughs> next week, too, especially if we want to bring in the special teamers, although there won't be too much discussion, at least in two-thirds of the special teamers uh, as well, for if we include that in our defense. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We've had plenty to talk about on the offense, so we're certainly uh, thankful that you listen to us all the way here to the bitter end of the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us all online at Colts Blue Zone. Individually, I'm Dave Griffiths at Dave G underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Mike Chapel is at mchapel 51 And as Joe mentioned, you can follow Mike's work online at fox59.com or cbs4indy.com as well to get all these previews by his standards on each position group as training camp approaches. So once again, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week as we talk defense leading into the Colts training camp in the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>